I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, first of all, to Exodus chapter 20. You hear it every Sunday, but I want to read the fourth commandment with you. The verses 8 through the end of 11. Exodus chapter 20. Beginning to read at verse 8, and we hear the word of God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Would you then turn with me to the book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 58. And I want to read the verses 13 and 14. Isaiah chapter 58. The verses 13 and 14. We continue to hear the word of God here. And the Lord says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Then would you turn with me in the back of your Psalter hymnal to Lord's Day 37, 38. 38, question and answer 103. It's on page 891 in the back of your Psalter hymnal. Lord's Day 38, page 891. Question and answer 103. And I remind you that this is your confession of faith as it is mine. And here we are asked, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word and the summary of that word, as we find it in the creeds and confessions of the church, may God add his blessing to the hearing and the reading and the preaching of his word again this afternoon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Bowmanville with me. The question of Lord's Day 38 reads, what is God's will for us in the fourth commandment? And then the answer is clear and concise, and although at first glance it may appear to be somewhat different from what maybe we had expected, we had perhaps anticipated a long list of do's and don'ts, And if so, you will be disappointed. We do not find them there. My my catechism students often ask me, Domine, be specific. Pastor, be specific about what is and what is not allowed on the Lord's Day. 
and I never entertained the question, not in that form. I refuse to give them a list of what is acceptable behavior. Neither will you get a list of do's and don'ts from me this afternoon. It's not the intention of the catechism, neither is it mine, to spell out just precisely what you or your children can or may or may not do on the Lord's Day. I would explain to my catechumens that the Bible and the catechism, instead of giving us a specific list, gives us norms and principles and then says, now you go, you go and work out those principles in your lives. And consequently, we see that not all Christians apply the norms of Sabbath keeping in precisely the same way. And so it is impossible to make an exhaustive list of what Sunday observance entails. However, the serious, genuine child of God knows what the Lord requires. And the genuine child of the Lord with much prayer, meticulously works out those biblical principles with regards to Sunday observance and applies them to his or her own heart and life. Then also it is important that we remember that the law is spiritual and that that it is not simply a code to which we must conform ourselves outwardly and externally. Follow with me for a moment as I try to explain what I mean. When a municipal government passes legislation allowing Sunday shopping, almost immediately the letters to the editor page of the local newspapers are flooded with protests. All kinds of people raise up in protest objecting to the new law because it opens the door to violating God's law. Now, in and of itself, to register a protest is not wrong. God's people are called to speak out when God's laws are violated. But but somehow, somehow, many well-meaning Christian people, well-intended but poorly instructed Christian people, believe that if Sunday shopping is forbidden by the state, and if all shops are ordered to close their doors of business on the Sabbath, then God's law is being honored, and then the objective becomes changing the law without changing the hearts. And that's really a huge misunderstanding. People, please do not misunderstand me. I have no objection to legislation that would require all retailers and places of of amusement and business to close their doors on Sundays. And I also believe that it falls within the realm of the civil government to protect the believer in observance of this day of rest. I also believe it to be the Christian's responsibility to speak out against laws which violate God's law. But I still insist that the true observation and consecration of the Sabbath is a highly spiritual matter that can be performed only by those whose hearts have been born again and filled by the Spirit of Christ. And therefore, even should the government forbid it that shops were open for business on the Sabbath, even though no one would have opportunity to buy, to sell, to bank, or to conduct any other kind of business, still the Sunday would not be honored, not one whit more or less than had the government legislated wide open Sunday shopping. To enact legislation that would force people who do not believe in the Lord to a certain code of conduct would not promote spiritual health, but rather it would only create Pharisees. We need to understand that. You see, the Sabbath is and will be observed if the shops are closed or open by those 
who seek to serve the Lord. The government cannot legislate authentic spirituality. Only God can do that. Legislators cannot bring about Sunday observance by an act of government. Only God can bring that about in the hearts of individual believers by an act of divine sovereign grace. The Sunday will be properly observed. The fourth commandment will be observed regardless of any act of government, and the opposite is equally true. Government can make the shopkeeper close his doors, but the government cannot legislate him to keep the Sunday holy. It's an important principle, and we do well to fix it in our minds. And within that context, now we want to examine this commandment closely this afternoon. However, before proceeding to the answers, we find it in the Catechism, I believe it to be helpful to expand the material slightly. I want to include also some helpful instruction as to how the Sabbath as we know it came into being. The celebration of the Sabbath as we have it today is not the same as it was in the old dispensation, and it's good for us to understand that. And so I want to minister God's word to you this afternoon using as my theme, keeping the Sabbath day holy, keeping the Sabbath day holy. We want to examine the commandment itself as Israel received it on Sinai. We then want to see the New Testament change to the Old Testament commandment. And then finally, we want to consider the explanation as given us in the catechism. Congregation, you will know from your Bible that it regularly speaks of hallowed or, if you will, holy persons or holy places or holy hallowed instruments. Think with me, for instance, of the (coughs) holy or consecrated instruments for the temple. These holy things were holy in the sense that they had been set apart for particular service to the Lord. It's the same way when we baptize our children. By that act, they are marked as holy to the Lord. And they, are, and they are to be set aside as holy, and they are to be dedicated into his service. And that now is precisely what we are to understand by hallowing or keeping holy the Sabbath. It's a day set apart for particular service to the Lord. It is a day set apart for particular service to the Lord. Walk with me here. You will know that it has been given to man to work for his daily bread. Immediately after the fall, God informed Adam that by the sweat of his brow he would toil for his bread. Man must work. It's a divine ordinance. And now for that necessary work, God grants six consecutive days. Six days you shall labor and do all your daily work. In your profession, in your calling, you will work for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord. In it, you shall not do any work. And now we notice that God admonishes Israel to this rest in relation to his own work and rest in creation. We read, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and rested the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, seventh day, and hallowed it. Continue to follow me now. In six consecutive days, the Lord worked on in his creation. And the seventh day, he rested. He rested, meaning not that he was tired, nor does it mean that God no longer involved himself in his creation. No, what, we, what is meant here is that after the sixth day, God ceased creating out of nothing. He stepped back, so to speak, if you will. He stepped back, so to speak. 
He looked over his finished creation. He saw the work of his hands and he said, it is good. In fact, he said, it is very good. Then we note then that God ordained the Sabbath in keeping with and in relation to his own working as it has been revealed in creation. And man now, created in God's image, is called to be an imitator of God. Be ye holy as I am holy. And God's pattern for man is given in the fourth commandment. Our working and our living is to be modeled after that of God. That now was the commandment given to God's people from Sinai. And that Sabbath was Israel's delight and their glory. The pious of Israel delighted in the Sabbath, but this Sabbath commandment now also comes to us living in the new dispensation and says, remember the Sabbath day and hallowed it. However, as we hear from the Lord Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, although each of the commandments stand firm for all of eternity, this commandment has, in the New Testament, undergone some changes concerning the time and the manner of hallowing the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was observed on the last day of the week. First, six days of work, then a day of rest. However, in the New Testament, that order has been reversed. First, rest on the first day of the week in order to obtain the necessary strength for the work of the six workdays that would follow. Capture the concept with me. In remembrance of his completed work in creation, God ordained the last day of the week as the day of rest. However, in remembrance of his completed work of redemption, in the finished work of Christ, he changed the day of rest from the last day to the first day of the week. Then further, to commemorate and to celebrate the completed work of sanctification, he has ordained for us eternal rest for all eternity on the new earth under the new heaven. And that eternal Sabbath is not yet. But as a result of the completed work of Christ, the church now celebrates the first day of the week as the Sabbath, the day of rest. Why was that change now? How did that come about? Well, in order to understand that change, we need to simply trace God's plan of redemption throughout history. And in particular, we need to take note of the mighty acts of God, which he accomplished on that particular day. On the first day of the week, our Lord arose from the grave. On the first day of the week, he appeared to his disciples. On the first day of the week, the Lord poured out his Holy Spirit upon his disciples, qualifying them for the work to which he had called them. The first day of the week became known among the apostles as the day of the Lord. In the New Testament, it was the first day of the week that the infant church gathered in the communion of the saints to be taught of God, to celebrate the sacrament of communion together, to break bread together. The decision to change the Lord's day from the last day to the first day of the week was not made by any council or synod. No, it was instituted in the New Testament long before any synod or council even existed. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. But we note further that in the new dispensation, not only has the day changed, but also the manner of observance of the day of rest has undergone significant changes. In the Old Testament, conduct for Sabbath observance 
was meticulously detailed and very specific. They were not even to light a fire in their own homes in order to prepare a meal. In fact, anyone caught gathering wood for fuel on the Lord's Day was commanded by God to be put to death. And those stringent laws stood in relation to the administration of the covenant in the old dispensation. and had a, It had a ceremonial nature or character. And those ceremonial laws were abolished after the perfect sacrifice of Christ in the new dispensation. However, that does not mean, as the liberals and modernists are wont to say, that therefore man now is free to observe the Sabbath as he himself chooses. No, no, no. It's still not our day. It is still the Lord's day, and it is to be observed and as the Lord commands. But that then raises the necessary question, how is that? How does God want us to keep this Sunday holy? In congregation, it would be my conviction as a pastor that much, so much has been lost to us over the years with regard to our commitment to Sunday observance. We need to repent about that. And we need to do something about that. However, at the same time, we need to guard against adopting a pharisaical or legalistic attitude with its hundreds of rules and regulations. And in this connection, we remember the incident of the disciples picking kernels of grain on the Sabbath in order to eat. That was forbidden, according to the Pharisees, and they sought to rebuke the disciples. Jesus, however, springs in the breach for them and reminds these legalists that the Sabbath was made for man, and man was not made for the Sabbath. But we need to interpret carefully how then must we properly observe the Sabbath. And I point you to the fourth commandment. We listen to the word of God, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Now, obviously, some work must be done. We need to eat. And there are essential services that must be maintained. But the Bible does not specify for us which or what kind of work is referred to. And yet, within its context, we understand here the word work to mean the work, the daily work, the daily work of our hands in our calling and our profession and all else that is involved with our daily involvement in and with the world. All of this is forbidden. But again, we need to understand God does not forbid certain work which is necessary. He does not forbid works of compassion and mercy. It is not possible, nor is it necessary for me to list all those things which are and are not forbidden. Those who know the way of the Lord, those whose hearts are right with the Lord, they will know and they will determine what is and what is not forbidden, even though they may not all work it out equally the same. And congregation, although an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts for the Sabbath is neither helpful nor necessary, the Catechism, however, is very helpful in identifying certain principles if we are to honor God on the Lord's Day. The question reads, what is God's will for us in the fourth commandment? In the answer then given us, Jesus follows, first, that the gospel ministry and education be maintained, and that I, especially on the festive day of rest, regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, 
to pray to God publicly, to bring Christian offerings to the poor. Second, every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. I let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. Notice with me the two parts. We notice that the first part gives us the explicit instruction and the second gives us the implications of Sunday observance. The explicit instruction directs itself, first of all, to the church. The church not as the body of Christ, but the church as a local congregation. In other words, we have to do here with the church in her worship and her ministry. The commandment then insists that we know, first of all, that it is our obligation to exert all efforts to constitute a local congregation where God's people can gather for worship. Since it is incumbent for us to meet for worship on the Sabbath, then it goes without saying that opportunity for such worship must be established. In the event that such a congregation exists in the community, as is the case here in Bowmanville, then it must also, out of necessity, follow that support with our time, our treasure, and our talent, and our attendance is commanded us. Congregation, you will have noticed that this is one of those sermons that probably should have been preached in the morning for obvious reasons. In other words, on the basis of the fourth commandment, the catechism instructs us that God's will for us in the fourth commandment is that the ministry of preaching is provided and maintained by God's people. In short, according to the fourth commandment, it is the obligation, the obligation of the congregation to provide the necessary support financially and otherwise that will ensure that the gospel is preached from the pulpit in your community from Lord's Day to Lord's Day. We do well to remember this commandment each week again as we present our offerings. But we read also of our obligation to maintain schools, and we are here pointed to schools established exclusively for the training of men for gospel ministry. And that too makes even logical sense. For after all, without the proper training and education of ministers, preaching will not long be possible. And consequently, the catechism has made a legitimate connection between the obligation of establishing and maintaining churches and the obligation of maintaining seminaries to provide gospel preachers for the pulpits in those congregations. But the catechism goes on. It continues and says that once a congregation has been established... Once finance has been provided for the church and once the schools for training ministers have been established and funded, the fourth commandment now identifies our obligation, yours and mine, to meet with God's people for worship on the Lord's day. We hear it in the words that I regularly attend the assembly of God's people. I want to take note for a moment that the catechism adds that I especially on the Lord's Day, gather with God's people. I don't need to remind you, you know as well as I do, that there are different traditions, even of Reformed persuasion, who refuse to have worship services on any day other than the Sunday. And consequently, such days as Thanksgiving, Ascension, New Year's, and New Year's Eve, and Good Friday, and any other religious holy day are missed. However, here we read that we are called to worship especially on the Lord's Day, implying then that also on occasion during the week, God, through his elders, calls us to worship. And according to this Lord's Day, such worship services are no more optional than are the Sunday services. We need to think about that. 
the next time we make conscious decisions to abstain from a midweek service without valid reason. God calls us to worship as we have opportunity, and especially on the Lord's Day. My dear people of God, it is sad but true that this confession has fallen on hard times in our age. In many quarters, the second service is already being abandoned because of a lack of interest. In many churches that are preached, we notice a significant decrease in the attendance to the second service. I recently spoke to someone in a non-reformed church who informed me that their church now offered Saturday evening services because many in the congregation were just too busy on the Lord's Day. And the irony of people being too busy with their own thing on the Lord's Day, that was completely lost on them. God comes to us here and he says to us, remember the Sabbath day and make it holy. Make it, keep it holy. The Sabbath then is to be holy, consecrated, set apart for a particular service. And that means, first of all, that we gather with God's people as often as the elders call a worship service and as often as opportunity is given. To what end, then, are we now to gather with God's people? That would be the next question, and to that question, the Catechism also instantly addresses itself. We hear it in the words, we are to learn God's word, use the sacraments, pray, and bring alms. First of all, we have come to hear God's word. Pure God here, too. So much has been lost or forgotten. So many of us have just formed our own opinions of the purpose of our worship service. But here we are once again reminded, we are once again corrected and reminded that the first obligation, the greatest purpose, the centrality of all Christian assembly on the Lord's Day is to hear the preaching of the word of God. We've heard so much about the power of that word, the power of God unto salvation, and we've heard so much of the purpose of that word as a life giving means of grace. Think on these things. Next time you choose to absent yourself or, and deny yourself or perhaps your children, so great a gift of God's grace. You deny yourself the very bread of life when you exclude yourself or your children from the preaching of the word of God. But further we are reminded that we are also to gather within the communion of the saints on the Lord's Day to make use of the sacraments. And again, we are reminded that word and sacrament belong together. Both are the means of dispensing God's grace. The word, the preached word, creates faith. The sacraments strengthen an existing faith. Both are ordained by God, granted by God, as gracious gifts from God to his people. And both must be used by them on the Lord's day and the church is commanded to provide them as the custodian of the objects of God's grace then also we're taught by the way of this commandment that we are to gather together for communal prayer through the lips of him called to lead the service the church communally and collectively gathers to publicly pray together as a congregation we are to approach God's throne of grace 
to thank him for his bounteous mercy, to honor and praise his holy name, to confess his, before his face our sin, to seek forgiveness for our transgression, and to plead for his sanctifying grace. And then finally we are called to gather together to bring Christian offerings for the poor. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Jesus instituted deacons in the churches in order to take responsibility for the relief of human suffering. To make it possible for these men to provide this cup of cold water, our giving is also commanded us in this commandment. Our failure to contribute financially towards <coughs> the advancement of the kingdom constitute a breaking of God's law according to this commandment. We need to be consciously aware of these things. But now as we come to the second part of the answer concerning God's will for us in this commandment, we notice that the catechism makes a change of focus or emphasis the first part instructs us clearly how we are to externally conduct ourselves collectively, and now the emphasis shifts somewhat, and we begin to hear of our necessary conduct personally in relation to this commandment. We hear it already. God's will for us in this commandment is also that I, every day of my life, rest from my evil ways and so begin already the eternal Sabbath. Rest from my evil ways, it says. But remember with me that as a result of the fall, the creature has become so affected by sin that he is inclined by nature to hate God and his neighbor. And now we hear God teaching us in this commandment, rest from your evil ways. Or if you will, if I may say it differently, he says, be holy just as I am holy. How now is that possible? We are but fallen creatures. We have lost God's image. We have become totally depraved and corrupt. We are now corrupt seed being born from a corrupt stock. And yet, and yet, and yet, God insists, be holy as I am holy. Rest from your evil ways. How now is that possible? The catechism points us the way. We hear it in the words, let the Lord work you, through you by his Holy Spirit. Let the Lord work in you through the work of his Holy Spirit. People of God, see now how this all fits together. How does the Lord work in us? By his Holy Spirit, yes, of course, but how does the Holy Spirit work within us? Not by some mystical means or dreams or visions or stirring liturgies, but through the living preaching of the living word of God. The Lord involves himself with us through the word and by his spirit. He constantly reminds us of our obligation towards him. Each Lord's day again, he stands, hear me well, each Lord's day again, God stands in this very pulpit and he calls out to you, come, come to the Savior now, make no delay. Here in his word, he has shown you the way. Do not harden your heart. The preaching of the word of God is the means of grace and life, eternal life for you. Do not reject the gracious means of life offered in the worship services every Sunday. Listen to that word. Work it out in your heart and in your mind. Apply it to your life and then rest. Rest from your evil ways and begin already now to enjoy the eternal Sabbath. Oh, that Sabbath rest that eternal rest that remains 
beyond the grave. There, beyond the grave, God's children will rest from all their labors, from all their sin and evil ways, from all their earthly cares and anxieties. All remember with me the beautiful confession we made in Lord's Day 16 where we asked the question, since Christ has died for us, why do we still need to die? And the answer was death for the Christian is not death. It puts an end to his sin and it is his entrance into glory. Oh, the child of God doesn't fear the grave. You're not afraid to die, are you? How could that be? Death for the Christian is not death. It is his entrance into glory. The child of God doesn't fear the grave. Oh no, with longing he cries out with the songwriter, When I in righteousness at last thy glorious face shall see. When all the weary night is past and I awake with thee to tell the glories that abide, then, then I shall be satisfied. You see, did you catch that? Death is not punishment for the Christian. No, for the Christian to die is a privilege because all of our lives we struggle against the world, the devil, and our own fallen flesh. But death puts an end to that struggle. There in glory, we will find rest from all of the tragic consequences of sin. People have got to listen very carefully to me. If you're not going to begin to live that Sabbath while still on this earth, you will also not enjoy it eternally. We need to be clear on that. My dear, precious, precious people of God, for those of us in the world but not of this world, proper Sunday observance is becoming ever more difficult. More and more we are being confronted with a world which would do away with the distinction between the Lord's Day and the other six days. I don't need to paint you a picture on that matter. But the questions here are directed to the body of believers and to us now, to you and to me is the question, how do we keep the Sabbath holy? People got the psalmist cries, O Jubilee, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Is that now also the desire of your heart? Does your heart begin to race on Saturdays in anticipation of the coming Lord's Day? Is it, is it a thrill for you to be able to come and to be in the house of the Lord with your fellow saints and to be instructed by the Lord? Do you honestly, earnestly long for the Sunday services, for the word of God to feed you and the sacraments to strengthen you? Is it a privilege for you to pray publicly together with all your brothers and sisters? Is it a willing, cheerful delight for you to offer financial support for the church and for the maintenance of gospel ministry and for the furthering of the kingdom? Is it? If the Sabbath is very little different from the other days for you, if the Sabbath is perhaps a burden for you, if you would rather not be here 
with the rest of us during Sunday worship services, then God lays it upon my heart to urge you to seek the Lord while he may yet be found, while it is still the day of grace. Because a failure to celebrate the Sabbath rest while on this earth will deny you that eternal rest. If, however, it is your heart's delight to celebrate each week again the day of the Lord in accordance with this commandment, out of love for God and not out of compulsion or custom or superstition, then the Lord grants me the blessed privilege to say to you, Rejoice, rejoice, for in his time you too will celebrate that blessed day of rest for all eternity. Or as the prophet put it, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, if you turn from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and if you call the Sabbath a delight, if for you it is a holy day of the Lord, honorable, and if you shall honor him not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, not speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And says God, I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken.